is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach, and today I'm delighted to welcome Kevin Bethune to the show. Kevin will share insights from his unconventional career path about how design can turbocharge problem solving and transform individuals and organizations. Kevin, welcome. Thank you, Caroline. Hey, Kevin, you know, I'm really jazzed about this book because it's called Reimagining Design. And I know your initial intent was to provide design strategy and innovation, but you shared with me really poignantly that it became a personal story, almost a a memoir of sorts. And I think your personal perspective is so relatable to our global audience. So I'd I'd love to have you start to, to tell that story of how this book came to be. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, it definitely started as a hypothesis around uh, certain strategic frameworks that could evoke creativity and innovation within organizations. But uh, the more I started diving into the topic, I couldn't help but go back to some of the experiences that I had in my lived experience, both personally and professionally. And I think it was a chance to take stock at the career path in total and realize that I made some very unique multidisciplinary jumps that um, a lot of people not, haven't, had to, haven't necessarily had to make themselves. And I think there were some really pivotal learnings that have informed my approach to addressing any innovation opportunity. And I felt like the, the, the opportunity to write a book could um, provide an opportunity to delve into that personal story a bit more and really bubble up some perspectives that could help help others and and really root that in a personal story, a personal narrative, rather than it just be a bunch of frameworks. And I think that's really what makes this book so compelling. I think often we we can put ourselves in your shoes or or, or really um, internalize this in a much different way. So thank you for that. That really was a gift to the reader. But I'd, I'd love to pull a thread because you do have a beautiful and unconventional career path. Would you tell us a bit more about that? Sure. So going back to the youth, I I had a creative itch. I drew for hobby, but any notion of design or innovation felt like a thousand miles away. Uh, Coming up, I I was raised for the most part in the downriver Detroit area, right in the heart of the automotive industry. And most of the neighbors were business folks or engineers working for the big American brands, Chrysler, GM, Ford. And in terms of imagining a career, you know, after college and college being a you know, monumental exercise in and of itself to go, uh, there had better have been a, a pragmatic job waiting on the other side of, of graduating. And so I, I took more pragmatic steps, started in mechanical engineering, ended up working in nuclear power as a first career step. And you can imagine uh, it was an opportunity to cut my teeth on product and learn how to work with high performing teams in a nuclear power setting, which was very militaristic in nature. The opportunity cost of our work was was rather extremely high. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, um, but, but through the engineering experience, a natural curiosity for business arose. And being a technology professional at that point, I, I wanted a little bit more license in my career to sort of understand like the strategic conversations that were happening in parallel with the technical work. And that curiosity led me to an MBA. Meanwhile, as, I, as I'm now in business school, trying to add that business layer, um, that, that creative itch for my youth 
scratched again. And I told myself, I don't want to necessarily just jump back to a, an engineering oriented company. I want to join an organization that has not only the strategy and technical faculty, sorry, not only the strategy and technical uh, faculties, but also the creative elements as well. And so I looked to companies that had uh, embodiments of all those three capabilities and companies like Apple and Nike rose to the top of the list. And thankfully, Nike afforded me an opportunity to join them. So at Nike, I started in a business planning capacity, but that, that product background, the technical background that I had um, caused me to want to go seek out you know, where, are the, where were the product folks hanging out in the Nike environment and started just networking to, to figure out like, who they were, what they were working on. I started offering a little bit of my own like spare time for free to, to help those teams and just show them what I was potentially capable of and that I was very passionate about learning what they were doing and that I had some skills that could be useful to them. And so coffee chats turned into stretch assignments, stretch assignments turned into eventually an invitation to join the footwear product engine of Nike. And that's when I made that transition into the, the, the footwear product engine, that's when I saw real life professional designers working for the first time in my career. And the nature of the work caused me to really get to know them. And I became very curious about what they were doing. So I think it's absolutely fascinating that you went from working on a nuclear reactor to designing the world's most awesome sneakers. <laughs> that is very, very exciting. And and yes, unconventional. So let, let's go back to the simplicity of that, though, because the beauty there, the common denominator is good design. So how would you at this point in your career define good design? Honestly, for me, I think of the notions of the breadth and depth of problem solving that, that could be had when you leverage design appropriately. Um, I think the way the world is moving, it's moving seemingly exponentially fast. And many of the opportunities or challenges that, we're, that we face, it definitely requires a multidisciplinary lens to each opportunity. So I, I, I do see uh, good design leveraging its breadth to bring disparate disciplines together to have a conversation around what's important. And that could be, you know, what matters to the stakeholders that we that we're intending to serve. That could be what 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 matters to the business in terms of ensuring that we're leading to a viable business opportunity. And then also talking to the technical folks, the engineers, and figuring out what's feasible uh, to create. What what can we make work? So that's sort of the breadth of how do you bring these disparate elements together? And then I also see good design as really appreciating the craft of really going deep with a particular area of expertise, whether it's design investigation, whether it's a unique form of ideation, prototyping, or testing to get feedback from our stakeholders, and really leveraging that craft, that subject matter expertise, that know-how to, to really leave the team room and spend some concerted effort, and then bring something that's valuable back to the team room for further discussion. Okay, so I am a student of design thinking. I'm a novice, I'm learning, but I'm fascinated by the concept. So my ears perked up when you said prototype test because I went right to design thinking there. But you uh -huh. posit that the business world gets design thinking wrong. So tell, tell us more about that. You know, for me, design and design thinking are two different things, but connected. Design thinking for me is definitely a, a useful philosophy that anyone can share across the team, no matter your discipline or title. 
it's it's definitely uh, giving the team uh, a shared language, a shared appreciation of how do we serve human beings, our stakeholders at the end of the day. Um, but at the same time, when someone sees sort of the post-it note exercise or the brainstorm around the whiteboard, sometimes people might infer that that's actually design when it's not. Mm. And sometimes it requires giving the professional designer some space to be able to inform a more appropriate research or investigation path. And maybe they can't do that with the team involved at, at times. Um, giving that designer the space to ID and really leverage their craft to come up with really good ideas, thoughtful ideas, intuitive ideas, and then bring that back to the team at some point for further cross-disciplinary conversation and discussion. So there's a difference in terms of how you strategically leverage design in that instance versus the shared philosophy. Thank you for that. That was really helpful. Kevin, we're going to continue this awesome conversation and we'll be right back after a quick break. Your working life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to know more about. We want this podcast to serve all of your working life needs. Send me an email at caroline at carolinedowdhiggins.com. So Kevin, this book is so unexpected. When, when I was reading it, I was just joyfully surprised about things that I just didn't expect. And one of that is, is how you very eloquently showed how diversity, equity, and inclusions are not only the cornerstones of a better world, but better design. So tell our global audience more about that. Yes. So diversity is definitely a threat through every chapter in the book. And I think that was sort of another surprise that percolated as I was going through the writing process. But now that the book is finished, uh, extremely important when I look back, because I, I do remember in particular design projects, innovation projects, where at times, depending on the stakeholder or demographic that we were serving, you could feel the blind spots or you could spot areas where we, we might have been percolating a, a, a harmful bias without even knowing it because we didn't have adequate representation on the team. So there was always this anxiety, at least that I felt, of, of where are our blind spots? And being a Black man navigating different chapters of career across corporate America, I, I remember what it, this really feels like to feel like the other or feel like the marginalized person that isn't quite included or quite as valued as the majority. And, you know, if I'm claiming to design for that end customer or that stakeholder, and if I'm conscious of the biases, like how, how can I mitigate that as much as possible? And I think through the experience of, of, of growing, recruiting, scaling, and, and uh, operationalizing design teams through some chapters of career, I, I've definitely learned to take a servant leadership tact to cultivating those teams. And diversity was a critical, if not the most important threat to ensure that we could build teams that had resilience, uh, to, uh, resilience for mitigating the blind spots through diversity. 
you know, I'm, I'm so grateful for your, your openness there. And, and I felt this beautiful sense of vulnerability when I was reading the book. You really put yourself out there as an example. And that was, um, I was really grateful for that as a reader. So I will share that with you. That uh, made a difference for me. And when you shared earlier that it became a bit of a memoir, that was really impactful. But I, I want to dive a little deeper because I am fascinated by what you call design-powered innovation by embracing diversity. So would you give an example of something that you wrote about in the book or, or something else maybe that didn't make the book to just help our audience understand design power innovation by virtue of embracing diversity? Yeah, um, I think for any any project that I've been a part of, and I, I cite a couple of examples in the book, whether it was us serving a restaurant chain and, and building a personalization engine to drive particular mobile app features and benefits for those stakeholders, um, or it could be a, you know, a wellness solution where we're trying to empathize with different attitudinal mindsets that could be at play across some of the, the client's uh, that we're that we're serving in that ecosystem, no, no matter the problem or challenge, no matter the uh, the opportunity, I think design powered innovation, as you call it, um, it's really about bringing multidisciplinary teams together and ideally diverse teams together. And when we when we bring them together, I honestly believe that the time spent, the the diversity of insights, data points, observations that percolate from those conversations. From the shared conversations allows us to see the future time horizon through a looking glass of sorts and through that looking glass we can cross-pollinate the the inspirations and, and data points that relate to people and the the things that matter to the stakeholders we intend to serve their their specific value criteria we can also cross-pollinate that with the industry paradigms as we look to the future like how is the industry that we're a part of or the competitive landscape how is that going to shift and evolve over time? And, and how can we ask questions and not just take like what we see as a given? How, how might we question and challenge some of those foundational principles of how an industry is supposed to behave? And our, our, our level of questioning might actually open up doorways for disruptive innovation. And then That's lastly, awesome. how can I'm we bring... smiling. <laughs> and maybe that's around the bend on the lens. Like how might we also bring in trends and exemplars or living examples of those trends taking shape to inform and inspire the art of what's possible. And I think through a diverse multidisciplinary team that's actually, you know, galvanizing against all those different creative inputs, they're actually undergoing a creative exercise of putting the pieces together in new and novel ways. And that, that helps the team and their ability to actually generate a bunch of ideas against any problem or opportunity that's in front of them. So that's what I articulate a lot about in the book. So it's an interesting time in the world. There's this phenomenon calling that we're calling the great resignation. Some folks are, are uh, reframing it to the great aspiration. You know, the cup is half full, not half empty. But regardless of how you define it, people are shifting and they're looking for work that's meaningful to them. So organizations, leaders are rebuilding teams. So how can the business leader build a team that mirrors the marketplace and, and honors design? Uh, I think the last 24 months, if anything, has shown us like where we had a lot of noise in our lives, a lot of unproductive time, whether it was sitting in traffic 
or you know spending way too much time on airplanes. And as much as we, the pandemic might have cut us off from the human to human uh, connection that we were so used to, we and despite some of the the traumas and the the difficulties and challenges we've all experienced, of course, like we want to recognize that. But I guess if there's any silver lining, thanks to digital, we have been able to connect more broadly to um, perhaps marginalized fringes of society or the world even. Uh, we've, we've probably consciously connected to people that we might have not had the mental bandwidth to connect to in our pre-pandemic life. Uh, and I think by leveraging some of these approaches where we're getting some of this unproductive time back because we're sort of isolated, like we can use that time for different purposes. And so I think that ability to connect together more seamlessly over you know, virtual platforms where we might have limitations to do it physically, I think it's it sort of caused people to realize like they can actually use their time in more productive ways and they can actually steer their calories in the areas that suit their talents and strengths the best versus just playing to the, the drumbeat that was pre-pandemic where, you know, we're sort of assimilating to someone else's mold to yeah. just survive and navigate our day. I, I find it beautiful that it has heightened our ability to give ourselves permission to mm-hmm. think about what we value and what we need and what we want in life and career. Absolutely. It's, it's a lot easier these days to set up your own, you know, freelance business uh, and, and really sort of market your subject matter expertise and no longer can sort of brands pride themselves on being like the hot brand that everyone wants to work for. If you don't offer that flexibility, if you're not allowing diverse teams to connect with each other and, and feel like they have empowerment on your platform, and that those folks feel like they can attach themselves to a mission that they personally believe in and not just sort of, you know, uh, navigating and allowing themselves to sort of ride the currents of the machine. Like if, if, you, if, if they can attach themselves to something that they can believe in, uh, they're going to move to those platforms versus the, the company that sort of rests on their brand laurels. Exactly. So, Kevin, this is a, a beautiful excerpt that I... Uh, highlighted in the book, you say good design fits seamlessly into our days, while bad design interrupts our flow. So tell mm-hmm. me more. So the, the notion of flow came from an aspirational creative hero and, and Mihachik sent me high. Um, just his writings around creativity and flow and the pursuit of the optimal experience. I think through his philosophy and works, you, you sort of realize how, 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 um, Many of the present day products and services don't necessarily intuitively map to what is most human about us. If anything, I think a lot of the technology platforms that we leverage map themselves to sort of a market funnel or typical advertisement, uh, advertising economics and economic mechanisms to encourage more clicks, more follows, more likes, more, more reshares, these kind of things, these kind of precedents that I think rob us of our ability to foster human connection and and really unlock what what's lying within each of us and so if we can design in a way where the interventions almost feel so natural that you don't you don't even know that design is actually working on your behalf or for your behalf that's sort of the best um, way to sort of intervene in someone's life 
Kevin Bethune, I learned so much from you today. Thank you for joining me on the show. I want to tell our global audience about your book. It's called Reimagining Design, Unlocking Strategic Innovation. And it's available on Amazon and all major book retailers. But you're also going to share the website if you would do that, please. Thank you, Caroline. Yes, uh, everyone can go to kevinbethune-reimaginingdesign.com. And there are a number of different buying paths for your preferred bookstore or marketplace of choice. And there's some of those links will actually route you to uh, stores near you if you want to support the local bookstores in your community. And of course, there's the Amazons and the Apple iBooks uh, and all the familiar options as well. But I welcome everyone to come to the site and pre-order until the book releases on March 15th. Kevin, thank you so much. I wish you continued success. It was such a joy speaking with you today. I love the book, and I'm so grateful that you spent time with me. Uh, Thank you so much, Caroline. Appreciate you having me. And if you like the show, subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or SoundCloud. And even better, leave a review because this helps new listeners find us online. And let me know what career-minded issues you would like for me to feature on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at Higgins. And a special thanks to my podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening.